and grab a seat. Well, good to see everybody. Make it through Thanksgiving? Barely. Everybody still full from Thanksgiving? No? It's, 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 it's worn off? Good. That's great. Well, great, because we got food tonight. So you have stuff you have to refill your stomachs with, right? So you may notice that things look a little different in here today, right? A tad bit? Yeah. And so our, this is our, our fancy Christmas decorations. Not really Christmas, actually. The time leading up to Christmas is known as Advent, right? And so I, anybody, people grow up in Advent. I didn't grow up use in, a, in a tradition of Advent. I know some of us have, but some of us haven't. So some of us have learned Advent as a faith family over these last 10 years. It was actually about eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, we started to celebrate Advent as a faith family. And over the years, we've kind of created our own traditions and things, tried to learn from the traditions of, of, different, um, of different traditions of our faith, but also of our own kind of experience and, and made some of our own traditions as a faith family. You might have noticed on your way in the Jesse tree. And so the Jesse tree is a great tradition that we started a f- um, probably about six years ago as a faith family. And we do it every night at our, around our table where we read different stories from Scripture. Um, and it's geared for both families with little kids as well as adults. And then we have little ornaments that some, some members of our faith family made and put together that we go hang on our little Jesse tree. And so if you don't have the Jesse tree guide or ornaments or need a new copy of them, they're right in the front when you walk in. I encourage you to grab those. Also, as a faith family, we've, we've tried to make it a tradition to uh, encourage everybody to do some sort of like Advent kind of devotional, something in these days that kind of lead up to Christmas. And so on our website, you can see it right here, ChristCity.life backslash Advent. We've got all those listed, but I just brought a few of them today. If you wanted to look at them while you're here, here's a few of the ones that we recommend um, for you to look through. These are kind of hit everybody's kind of angle. So there's ones that have a little more history to them, a little more scripture to them. One, my favorite one uh, is actually one that has poems, a lot of poems and and kind of commentary on the poems. Uh, We did one by Walter Brueggemann last year, Celebrating Abundance, and then uh, Piper's uh, The Dawning of the Indestructible Joy. And so that's one of the ones that has been on our recommended list for years. So I'll leave those up here if you wanted to look through, because you still have time. You can order them today or go pick them up uh, at a bookstore tomorrow. A lot of them start on December 1st. Some of them start today, first Sunday of Advent, but even then you can catch up. Um, but the 1st of December kind of begins the countdown to, the, to Christmas, right? But Advent officially in the church calendar begins today. It's a season in which we journey through the past with visions of the future, even as we anticipate God's acting in the present. A season in which every scripture... Every song, every collect, which we'll get to pray together um, during communion, every carol, every decoration, every declaration actually helps us pay attention in our, in our active anticipation to the many arrivals for which we hope. In fact, you can find on the, on the website stories of the Christmas tree and where it came from, stockings and where it came from, the songs that we sing and the history that's a part of all those that even though, again, outside of this space, all these things will be around us and all these things have a deep history and point us to the thing which we're all anticipating, God's arrival, God with us, an active anticipation of arrival of hope. For our word Advent means just that. It means arrival. Advent emerged from the Latin word vene, which means coming, or the coming, the arrival of Christ Jesus in every way. Jesus arrived in history in great humility, as we just sang, and in a Bethlehem home. And Jesus will arrive again in the clouds, as the revelation declares, in splendid glory to the fulfillment and finality of all things. 
But surely, contends poet and author Malcolm Guy, between this beginning and this end, there are many other advents. Jesus with us always from his last day on earth to the end of the ages. Jesus in our encounters with the poor and the stranger, in the mystery of communion, in those unexpected moments of lifelight all around us that Van Gogh had helped us see over the last few weeks. Surely there's an advent and Christ has come to us, Christ in us, in our lives, in and through him. It's this journey of paying attention to the visions of anticipation and arrival that we begin today with a story. So, little ones, you guys want to come read a story with me? Yeah! Why don't you all come up here and sit around the stage, if you want, and we're going to read a story. And don't worry, we'll have pictures up on the screen for everyone, too. But we're going to read the story of The Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen. If you want to come up, you can. You can just grab a seat up here. Ezra, you want to sit right here? Or y'all can sit up here on stage, wherever you want to sit. (laughs) Charlie's ready. (laughs) The Little Match Girl. All right, can everybody come and see? Can you get around me and see? You want to come up here? Do you want to come up here and see? If not, you can also look on the screen. There'll be the pictures there too, okay? All right, here's the story of the little match girl. It was late on a bitterly cold New Year's Eve. The snow was falling. A poor little girl was wandering in the dark, cold streets. She was bareheaded and barefoot. You see her there? Bareheaded and barefoot. She had, of course, oh no, had slippers on when she left home. But they were not much good, for they were so huge. They had last been worn by her mother, and they fell off the poor little girl's feet when she was running across the street to avoid two carriages that were rolling rapidly by. One of the shoes could not be found at all, and the other was picked up by a boy who ran off with it, saying that it would do for a cradle when he had children of his own. So the poor little girl had to walk on with her little bare feet, which were red and blue with the cold. She carried a a quantity of matches in her old apron and held a packet of them in her hand. Nobody had bought any from her during all the long day and nobody had even given her a copper. The poor little creature was hungry and perishing with cold and she looked the picture of misery. The snowflakes fell in her long yellow hair which curled so prettily toward her face but she paid no attention to that. Lights were shining from every window and there was a most delicious odor of roast goose. Did you may have roast goose for, for Thanksgiving? Roast goose in the streets, for it was New Year's Eve. She couldn't forget that. She had found a corner where one house projected a little beyond the next one and there she crouched, drawing up her feet under her, but she was colder than ever. She did not dare to go home, for she had not sold any matches and had not earned a single penny. Her father would beat her, and besides, it was almost as cold at home as it was here. They had only the roof over them, and the wind whistled through it, although they had stuffed up the biggest cracks with with rags and straw. Her little hands were almost stiff with cold. Oh, one little match would do some good, she thought. If she only dared, she would pull out one of the packet and strike it on the wall to warm her fingers. She pulled one out. How it sputtered and blazed. It burnt with a bright, clear flame. Can you see the flame right there? just like a little candle, and then she held her hand around it. Now the light seemed very strange to her. The little girl fancied that she was sitting in front of a big stove with polished brass feet and handles. 
There was a splendid fire blazing it and warming her so beautifully. But what happened? Just as she was stretching out her hand to warm them, the flame went out, the stove vanished, and she was left sitting in the end of the burnt match in her hand. She struck a new one. It burnt. It blazed up. And where the light fell upon the wall, it became transparent like God's. And she could see right through it into the room. The table was spread with a snowy cloth and pretty china. A roast goose, there's that goose again, stuffed with apples and prunes was streaming on it. And what was even better, the goose hopped up from the dish with the carving knife sticking in his back and waddled across the floor right towards her. It came right up to the poor child and then the match went out and there was nothing to be seen but the thick black wall. She lit another match. This time she was sitting under a lovely Christmas tree. It was much bigger and more beautifully decorated than the one she had seen when she peeped through the glass doors at the rich merchant's house this very Christmas. Thousands of lighted candles, yeah, you see all those candles? Gleamed under its branches in many colored pictures, such as she had seen in the shop windows looked down at her. The little girl stretched out both her hands toward them, then went out, then went out the match. All the, the candles rose Christmas candles rose higher and higher till she saw that there were only the twinkling stars. One of them fell and made a bright streak across the sky. Someone is dying, thought the little girl, for her old grandmother, the only person who had ever been kind to her, used to say, when a star falls, the soul is going up to God. Now she struck another match against the wall, and this time it was her grandmother who appeared in the circle of the flame. She saw her quite clearly and distinctly, looking so gentle and happy, Grandmother, cried the little creature, oh, do take me with you. I know you will vanish when the match goes out. You'll vanish like the warm stove, the delicious goose, and the beautiful Christmas tree. She hastily struck a whole bunch of matches because she did so long to keep her grandmother with her. The light of the matches made it as bright as day. Grandmother had never before looked so big or so beautiful. She lifted the little girl up in her arms, and they soared in a halo of light and joy, far, far above the earth, where there was no more cold, no more hunger, no more pain, for they were with God. In the cold morning light, the poor little girl sat there in the corner between the houses with rosy cheeks and a smile on her face, dead, frozen to death on the last night of the old year. New Year's Day broke on the little body, still sitting with the ends of the burnt-out matches in her hand. She must have tried to warm herself, said the neighbors, Nobody knew what a beautiful visions she had seen, nor in what a halo she had entered with her grandmother upon the glories of this new year. Thanks for listening, guys. You want to go back to your seats? <laughs> now we're going to do bread? Is that what you said? Yeah, we will in just a minute. <laughs> now I know that may seem like a strange story to start Advent, a dark story to read as a beginning to the cycle of light, a season of uncovering the origins of our faith. Hans Christian Andersen's story feels more like an end, doesn't it? Though it is an end that takes place and casts a vision for a new beginning, an end that in itself is a beginning. Truth be told, all stories that are ends to beginnings and beginnings to some different end are a bit strange, a bit dark, a bit apocalyptic. And yet, as Karen Swallow Pryor points out, the biblical meaning of the Greek word that we translate into English as apocalypse is simply an uncovering or a revelation. 
We often associate these apocalyptic visions with the end of the world for various reasons and most commonly in our faith because the vision given in the book of Revelation that we suppose is primarily about future days is that. It's dark and scary and bleak and has all kinds of crazy things that happen. We also make this association because some moments of revelation in humanity, in church, or in our own personal histories do seem like an end of the world or at least someone's world as our story today portrays. There are times like this particular historical moment, which has included crisis in the church, can, how, shall we stand and survive faith in, in faith and faithfulness in a season such as this? The first global pandemic in over a century, I mean, how shall we stand and survive physically? We're still asking that question even three years later. A deep political polarization, how can we stand and serve together? Not to mention the turmoil in the Middle East as one pastor's billboard on 635, the test, seems to herald that the end of the world is here. But perhaps, says Pryor, it's only as the Grok group REM put it, it's the end of the world as we know it. And maybe that's just fine. This season in our history, in the church calendar, in our life together as Christ City Church, has entailed an apocalypse. It's been apocalyptic. It's been uncovering and revelatory. Many truths that we have been hidden are being brought to light. Many deeds that have been covered up are being uncovered. Many assumptions that have been unexamined are being brought to the surface and scrutinized in order that we may consider whether they are rooted in eternal truths or merely in human traditions. In the process, and I hope especially in this season, Jesus is revealing more of himself. As he said to his father, and we read last week in Matthew 11, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's significant that the word translated revealed in these verses is the Greek word for apocalypse. Same revelation, an uncovering, a revealing, the vision of an end to what we know, an end to the cold around us in warmth, all about us, a beginning of a different, deeper end to which we live. Some of what is hidden from us is spiritual reality, divine truths that can be revealed to us only through God's divine power power that became a person, flesh and blood, birthed into the neighborhood, taking up and on the work of making a life. A person whose images, enlightenments of life, and visions now point us to life forever, whose way of life embodies forever living. Life given, his life given, became and remains the hope of the end of what we know. An existence with as much separation, suffering, and sin, living off the mark of the good, the true, and the beautiful, as something different. What we know is passing away, and what we long for is arriving, a hope that is the arrival of what will be far greater than what we can ask 
or put on our wish lists or imagine in our grandest tales. As Paul puts it, God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennial. Oh, yes. Because he has arrived, our little light reveals a vision of life in abundance, a life after death for which our hope leads us to live. We stand and sing.